It's wonderful. I'm excited, pumped. <laughs> no, really. You know, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your kids when they were teenagers. Just a thought. <laughs> but I am grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I tell you, I've thought and thought ever since uh, the bishop uh, called me. I was trying to find a hospital over in Yukon, and the phone rang. And I thought, should I take it? And I saw his number. Yeah, I'll take it. And, you know, and he said, he told me what the assignment would be. And I said, okay. And I got home and I thought, why did I say okay? Because <laughs> I got to thinking, what, what will I have to say? It's important for, for me, for you to know, that this isn't about bragging about anything. It's just amazing when you think about it. It's a testimony of what God does with people, through people, and his consistency to provide for us. And I want to thank you. Uh, the conference for the many, many prayers that have been prayed for me. At this time last year, I was flat on my back in the hospital. And uh, it was kind of a, a, I don't mind telling you, a scary time. Uh, I'd just gone through uh, heart surgery a year before that. I thought, well, there's my big crisis. And I can preach about how I walked through that gallantly. And I had, I had five stents put in. And then would take just simple blood tests, and they called me back. And uh, I found I had uh, progressive, advanced prostate cancer. And it had gotten into the bones and into the lymph nodes. Well, now that does kind of shake your world. You, you want to say you're the man of faith and power. But I tell you, the world looks so different when you're laying on your back, looking up, rather than standing up, looking down. Uh, the assurances sound just a little different, uh, you know, as they were rolling me uh, into the room to do a procedure and all the things. But here's what I'm here to tell you. You know, prayer really works, and it's such a blessing. Uh, one, one thing, when I was really at one of my lowest states, I, I tried not to show it when we walked in, but uh, one of my most critical times, I mean, I was just feeling lousy. I had tubes going everywhere, and, and um, things just weren't good right then. I was going through treatments, and uh, Bishop walks in, and, I mean, to me, I know his wife agrees this too. He can just look like an angel sometimes, right? <laughs> then I have a witness. Well, she meant to tell you that. She meant to tell you. <laughs> and, and he came in, though, and uh, he could tell I was very emotional at the time. But I was so glad for that visit and, and the comfort that he, he gave. You know, it's important for ministers to still make hospital calls. And, uh, boy, he showed up just at the right time. That's, that, I'm not amazed by that, but I'm grateful for that. And uh, I just really, I want to say, Bishop, thank you. And thank you to all the prayers. That, and my, my wife, you know, she's on that deal, what, what's called facelift. And uh, she's, uh, or whatever it's called. <laughs> and, and Facebook, thank you. Uh, and uh, she, people have kept up with her and telling about their praying for us. And it just means a lot to be a part of a team, doesn't it? I'm glad to be a part of something. So this morning, I've been assigned to tell you a little bit about how God moves during building programs. Uh, and I was thinking about the foundational scriptures I built. And really, to be honest with you, this is the first time I've done this in my ministry, to talk about all these things. But I went back and looked at my diary, and I looked at those things. And I said, how in the world did you do that? How did that happen? But the answer is always God. But I, I started writing those down, and I started crying last night. My wife said, you all right? I said, uh, I'm just remembering now these things as I've been challenged to bring it to you this morning uh, of what God did for, for just a, a young kid that didn't know a whole lot. You know, it's like when I started Southwestern I, as a freshman, I knew a whole lot. When I was a senior, I was a little, 
understood what I didn't know. But uh, same way with uh, pastoring. I remember about the first year of pastoring, I thought, we didn't cover this in class. I know we didn't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do I have a witness? <laughs> and that's nothing against the school. It's just the school of hard knocks is waiting for you out there. So I began to think about all these things, and I came to one of the scriptures that one of my mentors gave me right after I got elected pastor. And it's a glorious scripture, and it's from the Living Bibles, where I've used it over the years. Psalm 119 and verse 31, it says, Lord, don't let me make a mess of things. I mean, I have prayed that. Lord, don't let me make a mess of things. Okay. <laughs> now, on December the 23rd, 1976, and this, this isn't going to take near as long as you, it sounds like it's going to. In 1976, I was voted in for one year at a place called Lakeside Assembly. And uh, one year. That, that doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence. I'm following a man who had been there 18 and a half years. That doesn't give you a whole lot of confidence. And uh, so on December the 26th, I have written down, I, I went to the church office now is the pastor, and I'm sitting in the pastor's study, and right across the hallway was my wonderful office where I'd used for four years as a youth pastor, and I began to realize how much I loved being a youth pastor, you know, but now all the things I could get aggravated about, about my pastor not allowing me to do, I was going to have to be the, that guy now. And I'm not kidding you, I'm thinking all this, and the phone rings, and it's a minister in town that, you know, got the news that I'd been elected on that night, just before Christmas, you know. And now it's the day after Christmas, and he calls and said, man, I've been wanting to call you. I heard you got elected pastor over there. I said, yeah. He said, you're just a kid. You're just a kid. I mean, how do you think you're going to pastor that church? I think, why did I answer the phone? And he, he goes on. I mean, he doesn't stop there. He says, you know, most pastors, if they follow somebody that's been there a long time, they don't hardly last any time. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. And, and he said, you're just going to just having a kid's church. Kid's church. I mean, this, he's, he's not letting up at all. And I said, well, I hope we have the best children's church in Oklahoma City. You know, that's the only thing I stumbled through to say. He said, well, brother, hang in there. Bye. Okay, now, this is, I'm up there supposedly studying for my first message as pastor. And uh, uh, I got my head down. I mean, I'm almost under the desk. And, and here's where the journey really began. One of my retired ministers in the church, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. All of a sudden, I hear a knock on the door. He sticks his head around the corner and says, Boo. And he says, that's just how quick the coming of the Lord's going to be. And I said, okay, I, I get it. <laughs> and he said, Pastor, seriously, I've come to talk to you about something. He said, I got up this morning, and all morning I've had you on my mind, and I've come to tell you some things. I want to speak something into your heart. Now, this man had been a very successful pastor in his own right and then been the missions director for the district for 26 years. He had some background, and he had always been good to me and getting me places to preach and all that. And uh, so he, I said, okay, I'll listen. And he said, okay, here's the things God's laid on my heart. Number one, you're going to make it. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to make it. Okay? He said, when you ha have need of anything, go to God first. 
tell him. These are the things I've had written in my, the Bible I preached out of. So I'm writing them down just like I wrote them down that day. And God said to tell me, tell you to listen to me. If you're going to ask me for something, listen to me. And he, he went ahead and said, God gave you uh, two ears and one mouth. You ought to listen twice as much as you talk. You know, so I'm getting all this. I'm writing it down. And then he said, the Lord said, if you're going to do all this, if you're going to listen to me, trust me. Because I am your provision. Now, that's the prophetic word I received that morning. And instead of feeling like I need to crawl under my desk, in the Lord, I felt 10 feet tall there. And he walked out and said, well, i got to go. And he, he was out of there and said, I'll see you Sunday. And I, I sat down and where I was having writer's block to even come up with what uh, I was going to preach Sunday morning. The Lord le- led me to the story where the Apostle Paul, uh, they're in a storm, they're about to shipwreck. And he says, except you abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so I preached that Sunday morning on, don't jump overboard. <laughs> We're going to make it. And uh, people responded to that and things started going along well. Well, that was the beginning of a very, very interesting journey. And uh, but God had five pastors that were already going to the church that declared that they wanted to be my mentors. Now, Bishop so beautifully was showing us the need for us pastors uh, getting a hold of, of young people and mentoring them and being willing to turn loose that baton at some point in time. And I'm, I'm happy to say I followed the example of these. Men. But here, here's the other part of that deal. Though. Young ministers need to be able to, uh, in their churches, make places for pastors. Because I tell you what, they still got something to say. They can still be a big help. And they might save you your hide on an issue if you'll just go to them first and trust them enough to, to you know, they don't want your church. They're not going to take your church. My Lord, they've had enough church, you know. But they're... <laughs> <laughs> they just want to help you. And so this is what worked out so beautifully. Five men, all of great background and, and, and tremendous, uh, had been church builders and all that. So they kind of became my counsel. I had a wonderful board. I had the same board for 27 years. Uh, and that was marvelous, you know. Business meetings that only lasted one hour at the most, uh, once a year. And, and going through billing programs, that's amazing. And uh, what I was going to say, though, all, they all came with great experience and spirituality. And I remember one of the other pastors, these of them had their giftedness on how they would talk into my life. Another one came to me. He said, don't get up there and keep apologizing for your age. Get past that. And I said, well, I, I, Brother Moore, I just don't know if I'm qualified. He said, that's not the issue. Are you called? Now, that, that got me. That takes the whine out of you. <laughs> he said, are you called? He said, that's the important issue. I said, I believe I'm called. He said, well, then God knows what to do to help you and to make this a success. And the, before he left my office, he said, dream bigger than you see your present resources. He said, you begin to write down your dreams. Dream bigger than your present provision, you might say. And so from that point on, after that day, I began lifting life goals that would include goals that were big and small. Now, you can dream these big dreams. I remember cranking back in my office chair there, nobody there. We didn't have any staff yet at that time. And uh, 
so I, was, I began dreaming big. Lord, I'd like to see this church grow. I want to be a part of it. I want to see us do missions. I want to see us become a vital missions church. I want to see people saved. I want to be able to baptize. I wrote this down. Baptize as many as 50 people in one service that have been saved over the last few weeks. And I'm not talking about going into children's church and grabbing up a bunch of kids and putting them in the baptistry. I'm talking about adults that know what you're doing. You know, I made that a goal and all these things. And so I began, but then I began to speak those dreams uh, into my to a church board, and they jumped on it. They were for it. Man, wasn't that great? And then that scared me. <laughs> because a big dream is uh, simultaneously the best feeling and then the worst feeling. Well, I just said it, and now there's, they're banking on it. I mean, they were just going, oh, pastor, that's one. That's what we were wanting to hear. This can be a great thing. And all this, they started talking about this and that. And so uh, uh, that, that was amazing to me. But it all began with these five men who would take me under their wing. So we, with first big giant programs, we enlarged the, the uh, platform. Okay, but it, it, to me, it was a giant program. I, I thought I was building ORU. You know, we, we enlarged the platform. <laughs> <laughs> but we paid for it as we went. And then my next project, uh, we had to add on because we were out of Sunday school room, and our seating was already very limited, and it was an odd-shaped building. Some of you may remember the old building over in, on Grand Boulevard and May Avenue. It was an octagon-shaped building. Well, how do you add on to an octagon shape, you know, to, to make more room for your auditorium? So we came up with a design, and we came and we built that. It cost $30,000. Once again, I thought, now I, I, I've built Quail Springs Mall, surely. You know, and but things began to keep going and keep going. And uh, I'm still tr dreaming big. But another thing then, uh, one of the pastors came and talked to me. He said, okay, you're dreaming big. Now you need to think long. Okay, I, I had to sit there. I said, you're going to have to explain that to me. Well, think long. And this was a man who pastored one church for 36 years. He went to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and the church before he got there had had 18 pastors in 22 years. And, you know, just rambunctious, and maybe you've heard of these churches. And uh, he got in there and decided if he couldn't make it in Broken Arrow, he couldn't make it anywhere. And it became the largest uh, uh, church of that denomination. He ran over 800 in Sunday school. Uh, or Robert's family would go to his church when Oral was out preaching somewhere and all of this. But he, uh, he, he stayed in there and, and just worked. He became my uh, tremendous mentor. He gave me all, a lot of his library and all this. But I said, okay, explain to me about thinking long. He said, uh, we overestimate what we can accomplish in two years. We underestimate what we can do in ten years. Now, when you're 27, by that time, I'm thinking, 10 years. And now at 65, it seems to me like they're making six-month calendars. <laughs> you know, it's Monday. No, it's Friday. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden. And all those things because time has a way of marching right along. You know what I'm talking about. But you don't realize it that much when you're 27. But he said, don't plan to get something started and then get a, a stomach ache and think you need to go somewhere else. If you take people into debt, you need to be there when they come out of the debt and not blame it on God that you went somewhere else. 
He said, if you start obligating to long-term things, you're responsible to lead them out of that. Otherwise, they end up renting their church from the bank for the rest of their lives. Now, does that make sense? Well, it did to me, I'll tell you. Uh, it said, think long. You know, and so I began to make those plans that were 10 years. You say, well, is that presumptuous? No, because it's only voted on every 10 years. So <laughs> I knew it was, you know, every time we got 10 years, you could expect a lot of push, <laughs> you know. And I was, every time I was elected, it was a large majority. But it's because there was such harmony. And God was just blessing and blessing and blessing. And I went in 26 years young. But by the time I'm 28, I'm 28 years old. Yeah, because I'm going through these programs because then we get the auditorium, this certain size, all this. And my board comes to me and says, we've been wanting to talk to you. Now, how many pastors don't get a little, really? What did I preach last Sunday? Boy, I wish I hadn't preached on gluttony. That was a mistake. That was a big mistake. <laughs> and they said, no, pastor, this is something we, we, we've got in our heart. You know, things are going well. Sunday school I- I- attendance is going great. And, and all this, and said, we need, I thought, what? We need what? We need to build a new church. I said, well, we just built a gymnasium on this grounds. It's only two years old. We need to build a new church. Now, this is a board telling the pastor that. I said, well, we'll have to listen from the rest of the congregation. We have to vote on something like that. Because I think I'm getting a little, little scared right there, to be honest with you. We're talking about relocation. The church is almost paid for where we're at now because God had been so good to us in a number of ways. And uh, I said, okay, let's take it to the church and let's see. We need, a, we need a good vote on this. We had 100 people there, and we had 99 out of 100 uh, voted yes to relocate and to sell. Okay, of course, you know how pastors, uh, we're men of faith and power. Who was that one? <sighs> The next Sunday, you're looking at the congregation. You're trying to tell by the look in their eye which one voted one. I didn't know who voted no till years later, and he was still with me. Matter of fact, he's at my church now in Edmond. He just said, I lived across the street from the church, Pastor. <laughs> I said, well, you know, that was justifiable. I thought it was somebody that was going to try to build their own little following and, you know, worst-case scenario. But we, so we put the church on the market, and it sold in two weeks. For our asking price of half a million dollars. I think what sold it was the gymnasium hooked onto it. It was only two years old. But we sold it in two. And so we, in fact, we had to rent back the church until we got our new building. And we go out and we find it. And the Lord leads us in, in such a marvelous way. And, and we find 16 acres on 122nd Street in north, far north Oklahoma City. Now, it's not that far anymore. But in those days, that was a wheat field with an old barn sitting on it. And we went out there, and we looked around, and it, was, it sounded pretty high to me, $20,000 an acre. We're, we're moving from, from Nichols Hills location uh, off of May Avenue onto 122nd Street that in those days was a, a two-lane bumpy road, just about like any of the others that go past 122nd, you know, just really narrow, bumpy roads and, and all this. And I had friends that were just joshing with me, oh, little church on the prairie, that's what you're going to be. <laughs> you know, I said, I hope not. But I knew if... Putnam City North was building a high school right on the same, next to our property. They planned on somebody to be living out there. They were getting ready to build a place called Warwick Houses and uh, all this. So what I'm saying is we go into this, and, and, and I mean, there's just no, it's God moving, wanting me to catch up in my thinking. 
I mean, I tell you, I was a great man of vision, but if it hadn't been for these five men who took me into prayer and constantly, not coming to me, bugging me, but just asking about me. Because we, we got out there and we, we started building. And you remember May last year was the, the wettest month in the history uh, of Oklahoma. Well, the, I knew exactly what they were going to say. The, before then, the, the most rain in May was in 1981. Well, who was trying to build in May in 1981? We were. And we got one wall completely up. I had the floor poured, and an 80-mile-an-hour wind came by and blew in the whole side wall, 179,000 bricks, into a freshly poured floor, which kind of dimples it up a little bit, you know. And all this is going on. And I, I'm overwhelmed with this. We're on a timetable to get out of the church we sold to get into this building. So I'm praying. I go over to one of my folks is, you know, one of my mentors, his house, and I come in there ready to have a Greg Whitlow pity party. The only problem with a pity party is the only people that come to it is me, myself, and I. And so I get there, and this man has built a great church in Ardmore in days gone by, and then he built the kids' campgrounds and youth campgrounds down at Davis. I mean, he'd just been an instrumental man, but he, at this time, he was in the throes of Parkinson's disease. And he's sitting in his little chair, and he's, uh, you know, talking to me. And I said, boy, Brother Moore, I just feel like the weight of the world's on my shoulders. And I had a feeling he'd take that shaky hand and go, Brother Greg, you're okay. You're okay. You're going to be all right. That's what I was there for, you know. And maybe pat me on the head a little bit. And he goes, well, Brother Greg, I thought, you said what now? I feel like the weight of the world's on my shoulders. He said, well, I thought he said the government was on his shoulders. Well, yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> you know, I mean, my, my pity party was just busted in two. And, and he prayed for me, and he was telling the truth, Lord, I feel like pastors lost a little of his courage today. Restore that to him. And, you know, when you walk out of there, you feel like you can leap tall buildings in a single bound. You know, because somebody prayed for me, and the Holy Spirit moved. Now, here's where the miracle of the finances starts coming in. You know, interest rates, as we're building this church, 18%. you remember those days? 18% interest. And uh, we'd sold the building for about half a million, but there was still another million, half a million we needed to raise. And so we're, we're working at it, working at it. We, we, the, they gave us the best deal they could, and we were able to make the, uh, the payments, you know, we're, but it was cutting right to the edge. And during the midst of all this, a little lady comes into my office. I had just an office put together with a, just a regular old table, you know, from Fellowship Hall because we, we couldn't move into the office area, so I was working out of the Fellowship Hall. And she came in and made an appointment. Eileen Upton was her name. And she's just a quiet lady, always at church, faithful to support the church, never low-maintenance saint. I mean, just somebody you just knew would be there and would encourage you. And uh, so she said, she talked to me about her, her burden for the church. She said, I know we must have a lot of expenses right now. And I said, yeah. And I tried to keep that out. I wouldn't try to have emergency Sundays or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought that was detrimental to the faith aspect. But she said, well, I just, I just wanted you to know, when the Lord takes me home, I'm, I want to leave some money, uh, and you, you can either uh, use it for your expenses or you can use it for missions. She says, because I love missions, and I know that you're trying to build a missions program. I said, well, okay, when time comes, we'll see what we need to do. Is that the way you want it? She said, yeah. 
Well, it wasn't but about three months. I didn't realize how ill she was. She hadn't told anybody. But I got the call. She had passed away. And so I did her service at Bethany Cemetery. And uh, as I'm walking away, an attorney walked up and said, I need to see you tomorrow if you can. He gave me his card where his office was. And I said, okay. So I walked into the office and he goes, uh, Sister Irene, uh, she's, uh, this is in her handwriting, said that she wants to leave you her savings account. Now, she was a secretary for an oil company. That's what she had always been. She would never married and didn't have any children. And he said, uh, we have a, a check here that we're to make out, and it's for $90,000 from a little lady that drove an old car to church. You can't always tell, you know. 90000 said that you either would use it for expenses or you'd use it for missions. Uh, yeah, that's, I said that. And I'm thinking $90,000. Boy, would that go through our expenses? That would, that would be great. <laughs> I was just sitting there. And I, I, he wants me to sign one of the documents, you know. And I'm going, now, Lord, you know we're in a building program. And the Lord's like saying back to me. And I, when I say, say impressing on me, you know, some guys hear from God so directly and they say, well, God said, and he calls them by first name. I, I'm. I'm lucky to get a hey you but i'm i'm praying you know <laughs> i'm praying about this and, and i mean the lord just said you and you're wanting to build a missions program and I, i'm not going to say i said it forcefully and you know boldly and proudly i just said write it out for missions De- donate it for to designate it for missions and was, I tell you, that was a big day walking out. I and mean, it was great for mission. But that, yeah, that really did take a little faith on my part to forget about the expenses right now. You told me to build a great missions program. And that's where it starts. Brother Terry, that's where it starts, you know. And so I take it to the missions department and our state missions director. Oh, he's about to jump over the desk. To, you know, and I'm not much of a hugger, but I swear he looked like he was going to try to hug me. And... Uh, and I said, uh, I need a project because uh, he wants to go for it. And he said, your buddy in, in Ireland, Gary uh, Davidson, is uh, in Dublin, is, is, uh, bought a building. It's a beautiful building, St. Mark's. And he told me all about it. And he said, but they owe $90,000. So how much you got? I got $90,000. And then he calls Gary on the phone in Ireland, seven hours difference. But uh, I think we woke him up, but it didn't matter. He had that old raspy voice. Well, Brother Greg, what are you doing? I said, well, we're paying off your church at the present time. I heard him scream. <laughs> I don't know what his poor wife must have done because it was early in the morning. But that's where the, it began. Now, when I gave that in faith to missions, the congregation really began to grow. You know, we were doing the same things the same way, but all of a sudden it caught on. You know, Jack Hayford said he was 13 years at Church on the Way before he ever saw any church grow. 13 years. Now, that was a long road. And so here we are, and we, we, we moved in this partially completed deal. We, we weren't really seeing our vision completed yet. It would have been easy to be like in Nehemiah where there's so much stuff you can't ride around the, the, you know, the building program. But people started coming, and they were hearing about missions, and it was bringing in people who were interested in missions. And it, it just began... Uh, little, th- not little things, but uh, it began with, uh, like one day, day a lady said, I've been burdened for our, uh, our uh, building program, and, and she lays an envelope on the desk, and just a little 
vanilla envelope. It wasn't like a tithe envelope. It wasn't a tithe envelope. Uh, but it's just an envelope. So I'm going to leave this here for you. And I was real busy that day, and I forgot about it. I laid on my desk for three days until I opened it up and found she had left a perfect uh, one-carat diamond. That she said, there's no use in me having this in the drawer when the church can use it. I cashed it in the next day for $7,500. During that same time, I, I go and visit a lady in the hospital that, that was in the church that I grew up in. used to take care of the nursery, and I heard she was in Mercy Hospital. So I went up and talked to her and prayed for her. And uh, then she passed away, though, a couple of days later, and they had me do the funeral. And at the funeral, uh, they, they walked up to me and said, you were so good to visit Grandma uh, the other day, and it meant so much to her. Uh, here, here's a check for $15,000. What's the best I've ever been paid for a funeral? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> $15,000. Okay, and it start, so it's starting to add up. I'm starting to catch on here. And all the time, we're having mission services once a month. And I became known as the pastor who returned the phone calls to missionaries. And, you know, let them uh, visit your church and come for a service. And uh, so I'm at a men's retreat, and we've just taken on four new missionaries for monthly support. I'm at a men's retreat. I'll never forget it. And this is 1980s. And uh, a man walks up to me that my dad had led to the Lord out quail hunting. And uh, he, he had started coming to church, and he's already been uh, good to the church. His wife was a doctor, and uh, she, I think she owns now that Lakeside Women's Clinic. And uh, he, uh, he walked up to me at the, at the men's retreat, and we were just getting ready to have dinner. And he said, uh, I don't want you to look at this right now, but uh, Lord, the Lord's dealt with me. I want to do something to help the church. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever gotten an offering when you were a guest speaker, and you wanted to get to see what it was? I mean, you, you'll think of any reason in the world to get somewhere where you can, so you know if you can be genuinely glad or if you just have to put on a smile, you know. And so I'm, I'm thinking around there, and I forgot something I left in my room. And so I'm running back there, and I open it up, and it was a check for $185,000. Well, we're, we're getting, you know, to a place where we're really getting in the black here. And I thought, well, I've seen it now. I've seen it now. And all this going on. And uh, then another check comes in on a Wednesday night. Uh, uh, one of my board members who's now is with me over in Edmond, he uh, comes back uh, after church and says, shake the hand of the usher that took the best offering we've ever gotten on a Wednesday night. And I said, well, I'm, not, I'm not thinking real high. I said, what? said, $80,000. Well, now, you know, it's starting to get a little bit of a this in my feet, <laughs> you know. And I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I was sure this was going to happen. The man of faith and power now is amped up, you know. <laughs> and so we, we, we go on in to get the auditorium finished finally. But then immediately we need to build a, a balcony in it to, to, so we can see about 1,200 people. And a man comes to me who I'd been meaning to use for building, but I really was looking after him if he was interested, if he wanted to be a missions director, as Bill Mash. And I said, Bill, would you? He said, I've been praying about that. Yeah, I will uh, be willing to be your missions director if you'll follow some guidelines. One of those guidelines, they can't be a board member if they don't give to missions. <laughs> 
Okay, you going to tell them or I going to tell them? <laughs> well, Bill wasn't afraid to tell anybody anything. <laughs> but it got a word got around without it happened to be a public thing. And uh, so things began to escalate again as you had somebody who's really had a burden and a heart for it. And we, we kept adding, adding people and adding people. And uh, so one night there's a man uh, that comes in on a Sunday night and we're having a mission service. And he sits down, he's in blue jeans, a white shirt, just regular shoes. You know, I went back to him. I said, hi, we're glad to have you tonight. And uh, he gave me his name and didn't ring a bell. And I said, what do you do, sir? He said, well, uh, Hobby Lobby. And I said, which, which store do you work at? He said, well, I, I own the Hobby Lobbies. I said, I knew that. <laughs> and introduced me to his son, just two sons that were there that night. And I said, I understand you, you, you're really into missions. I said, well, it's our burden. Our, he said, well, I want to be a part of your missions team. Well, let me pray about it. Okay. <laughs> and then we started on a very exciting adventure. We were able to build a family unit uh, for Teen Challenge. Uh, for Bill, Bill was also became in charge of all of my building programs. And uh, a family unit down at Teen Challenge seat, uh, had four families in it, two-bedroom apartments. And uh, we did that debt-free. Then a deal came up where there was a, a, a apartment complex in prime location, right off May Avenue, right where you get to the airport. And I thought, well, I don't know if we can afford something like that. Let's make them a ridiculously low bid, and let's see what happens. And we bought this beautiful complex. had a washing machine, dryer in the end of it, had an office place where they could put their computers, and we were able to buy that for $90,000. And we paid cash for it. We paid cash. And that, that we had that going for at least 10 years. Brother Gorman, matter of fact, when he was recuperating from that horrible illness, stayed in it for a year. I mean, any missionaries could stay there debt-free while they were home, not having to spend their money on, on anything else but, you know, itinerating and getting their support. And that was a blessing. How did that happen? Somebody felt led to uh, one of the men that came up with the idea said, I'll fund it. I said, well, I think we can do that. You know, all those things. But I'm kind of going in a spin right there. I'm not putting this all together until the bishop asked me to bring this. This is the first time I've ever released all the things to you. And please don't, not cocky about it at all. I, I started shaking last night. We're going to think, you know, I could have missed that or I could have missed that. And I thought, but I didn't. But I had five guys who, after their active ministry, they designated themselves, those five guys, to be my mentors and to be my prayer partners and help me make wise decisions. We were able to get involved with so many, and the result is too, I have now, according to what my wife tells me, we have 115 young people from our church that are in ministry. They're either on the field or, or uh, they're pastoring churches. One's pastoring a great church up in Connecticut. I got a letter yesterday. I get letters from him all the time that he's in uh, Rockford, Illinois at the great rock church there. And uh, he's wanting to go on a mission trip. I, I got him started. On, we started doing two missions trips a year. And he wrote and said, I need some financial help. I knew what that was about. But it, it was on Marty Pierce. You know, he, he was there when you were president. And I, I, I'm not going to say, he, was more, he wasn't a diamond, but he was a diamond in the rough. <laughs> and, and he wrote me, and he's doing a great job up there as worship leader. And I was glad to send him a check to help him with his program. But 115, well, that's my ministry going on. Now, I, I know I'm a lot closer to the end than I am the beginning. If I hadn't had this cancer and this heart problem, I would know. Because I, I know when I turned 60, one of the guys said, well, you're middle-aged. I said, only if I live to be 120. 
I said, <laughs> middle means middle. Now, that really encouraged you, didn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> the thing of it is, I know I'm closer to the end than I am the beginning. When I lay down at night and begin to think, and there's other places where I made big mistakes in, in trying to do something. The, the second thing I did uh, after a while fell in his face, and it's because of me not making right judgment. But that's another story, another sermon for another situation. But I am saying for that 27-year period, it was God all the way. And uh, I'm going to tell you this. Do the best you can with what you have and where you are. Success is not circumstantial. You might be saying, well, if I'd had your, your circumstance, if I had it like you, well, I could do that too. Don't, don't get caught in that trap. Don't get caught in that trap. Okay, what's so perfect about me following at age 26 a man who was loved there for 18, almost 19 years, but announced to the church he and his wife were getting a divorce? Now, you follow that and see if there aren't some things you've got to immediately mature on and know what to say and know what not, not to say. But along the way, God would give me these wonderful people working me like a Scott Taylor. These names may not ring to you, but they do to me. A Scott Taylor who would lead my singing. A Bill Hedrick who would run my music. These people would come and become a part of my team. Bill Mash to do my missions. Okay, but it didn't start out with that kind of a circumstance. It grew. The long-term dream. Not the two-year plan, the ten-year plan. And at the end, we were, I'll never forget the day on, uh, on 14 years to the day that we went into our building, had our first service on July the 4th, 1995, we burned that mortgage. Now, I kept a copy in the safe, you know, <laughs> to show that it was paid. But we had all my board members have been with me. One by one, they'd take a copy of it and put it in this big pot we had, and it would burn. And people were rejoicing, dancing in the spirit, praising God, and all this place was packed from top to bottom because we were debt-free. And from there on, we, we were able to do even more and more. And then the one dream that I wrote down that I never really had told anybody, I said, Lord, it would be something if we could give a million dollars to missions in one year. We'd been moving up at it. You know, we were, we were given large sums. We were averaging, uh, you, know, you know, about $75,000 a month in missions giving. But there was that one beautiful day. I wish I'd brought the check with me. I've got a copy of it. When we finally got it all together, our computer couldn't do not do a million dollars. It couldn't write a million-dollar check. So I had to write a check to missions for $999,999, and I pasted a penny to it. <laughs> but trust me, we got a new program for the computer <laughs> and it wasn't just Hobby Lobby it was that my people had been with me for years we weren't just a one trick pony it was God had gotten into everybody they were so missions minded you know they wanted to do this and I was able two times one check for one million dollars one check for one million nine hundred thousand dollars before I stepped away from there okay my boast is in the Lord. It is, my testimony is of the Lord. And I wrote something. I'm going to close with it. I'm going to hand it back to the bishop here. I, as I was looking through my stuff and looking back through some stuff, that these five men had written letters. Here's something that uh, one of the pastors wrote me. His name is Elmo Malloy. And he had written this out. And so I'm reading it to you just like I, I found it again on this little card he sent to me to encourage me one Sunday morning when he knew that I was concerned about getting into that building. Uh, because I looked out there, and it was orange pews. It was orange carpet. 
It was the day of earth tones, you know. And I looked out there, and I thought, I was at 2 o'clock in the morning when they finally finished putting the pews together. I thought, I have overdosed on pews. There's no doubt about it. I have overdosed on pews. <laughs> well, I told that to Brother Malloy, and here's what he wrote me. And you see if you can't just shout with me on this one. Dear Brother Greg, you're serving a God who can kill a giant with a pebble, open the sea with a wave of his hand, slay an army with a choir, crumble a wall with a shout, and raise the dead with a trumpet. Brother Greg, you're going to make it. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And that's what the Lord sent me to tell you today. Greg, stay up here, please. I, 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 you caught, you didn't catch anything selfish in what he said, and so, and so, I don't believe anybody would hear that in a that. Oh boy, I want to be that or do that. But if from a pure heart you have a vision that needs finances, come forward and let Pastor Greg pay pray for you. <laughs> you can pay for him too if you want to. <laughs> come forward and let him lay hands on you. Hallelujah.